This is the Epic Brum Podcast, and we're digging into the city's food scene once again with the wilderness chef owner, Alex Claridge. This episode comes from the Wilderness Restaurant in the Jewelry Quarter. Rock and roll fine dining is how Alex describes it, and we're going to find out why as well as hearing his thoughts on the city's dining scene and much more. Now, if you've heard Alex speak before, you'll know he's quick-witted, dry and at times outspoken too. So we think you'll enjoy this one. Well, welcome to the Epic Brum podcast, Alex Claridge, and uh, thanks for inviting us to come down here to the wilderness today. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, mate. Thanks for coming. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, not sure if you know this, but the, the very first episode of this podcast we actually did was with, with Stu Dealey, who's a friend of yours and you're your head chef for a few years as yeah, well. Yeah, he is, he's, he's, he's a top guy and uh, I'm, I'm sure he's sort of, Stu always has a good story to tell. Um, whether they're all stories that could be told on a podcast remains to be seen, but um, how is he? Yeah, he was great. I mean, it was, it was, it was just after the first lockdown and he was... So he, he hadn't long come off the, the MasterChef win and also his, his Stu Dealey at home thing was really taking off. We went down to, to Simpson to see him. But yeah, I mean, it, it didn't really bother him about whether his stories were appropriate or not for the, the podcast, to be honest with you. He was very, uh, very open. It, it was great. But, uh, no, he's uh, he's uh, one of the city's great characters and um, it's so good that he's actually been able to, to find himself a, a restaurant and kind of set up after a pretty rotten run of luck, really. Yeah, he's um, at, is it Hampton Manor, isn't he? Yeah, so he's got, he's got a new restaurant called Smoker Hampton Manor um, that uh, looks look, looks delicious. Really looks like exactly the sort of thing that um, I know he'll love doing. And uh, yeah, I've not been able to get over yet because obviously um, time off isn't a commodity we have loads of. But um, no, genuinely sort of, obviously we won't be letting anyone else have a MasterChef again because that's uh, in the last three years, two finalists we've got through and... Um, you know, it'd be madness for them not to use that platform to uh, to move on and, and, and do other things. But um, I don't know if we can tie the heartbreak. Um, but very glad that he's, uh, yeah, found his feet. I think it, it was very cruel, you know, for lockdown to sort of have all this happening and then suddenly have the entire country shut for so long. I think that's been um, a really cruel twist of fate. So I'm very glad that he's back on the pans. Yeah, well, glad to see so many places back on their feet. I know others are struggling, but that's, I mean, something we've talked about a lot off mic but the reason I mentioned and you've just said you've got a bit of a track record with with MasterChef aren't you so you know Greg Greg Wallace hands off my my stuff is the uh I mean that feels like a totally different headline that um one hopes we never have to read but uh yeah I mean t- to be fair you know and I'd say it time and time again the credit is to the you know the the guys who go on it um you know I'm, I'm never going to sit here and take any real credit for it. I think the only thing that we do quite well is uh, I think we've always been very fortunate to whether it's whether it's we find them, whether it's we seek them, whether it's they seek us. I'm not quite sure, but I think we're very lucky that we we tend to assemble very talented people, and we tend to try and kind of create a very creative environment and a very free environment for them to sort of um, I guess figure stuff out. I know that sounds mad, but from a creative perspective, you know I think we're always moving as a restaurant. Um, I'm a big fan of posing totally insane questions with no sort of um, obvious source. And um, I like to think that, yes, we, we've kind of, we, we've nailed creating an environment that helps people grow and be, you know, be the best version of them. Um, but it is fundamentally just testament actually to how fortunate we've been with, with you know, with, with some of the names we kind of attract to come and work with us. So, um, yeah, t- two out of the last three years, um, but we are going to put a moratorium on that um, for a little while. Um, I think uh, we're uh, going to focus for a few years on uh, keeping the talent uh, in-house. But um, no, it's, it's always good. And like Louisa as well, you know, she's gone to do some amazing things. Um, you know, and even not MasterChef, but, but arguably just as exciting, you know. Uh, Poppy, who, um, Poppy O'Toole, who's gone on to become an uh, absolute megastar on TikTok. Um, when we had Louisa... You know, Poppy was also working with us then, so we've, we've had a great few years with, with seeing a lot of kind of alumni really go on to, um, you know, to succeed and smash it. And, and actually, you know, the, the longer I've done this for, the more I kind of get joy from that in itself. Um, I think it's really nice seeing 
you know, seeing people who've kind of come up through the ranks, go on and do their own thing. Um, and I, I think, you know, as I'm sure Comonsi Hospitality has to think a bit differently as to what success looks like if we're going to, you know, reinvent the industry and recover and change the way people see it as, as a, you know, as, as a career path. And, um, you know, we really try and embody that idea of, look, you know, we want you to be with us. We want you to have a good time. We want you to you know, help us on our mission. But we also want to make sure that when you do leave, you're, you know, you're equipped to go on and do other awesome things that, that you know, that help you, you know, further on your journey, as it were. So it's, you know, it's, it's been a great couple of years for that. Yeah, it feels like you the way you do things as well. You want characters and people are a bit prepared to be a bit brave and, and bold about the we, way they operate. We do like a good square peg, yeah. That felt like a jury quarter pun. <laughs> nah, it's good. We love love a good pun. So, uh, yeah, can, can just go back a few steps then. For, for anybody who's listening who perhaps doesn't know a lot about this place, just give us a little brief, quick history of, of the wilderness. Open a restaurant, they said. It'll be fun, they said. They lied. Um, no, um, so, I mean, the wilderness, so we're six years old uh, on November the 13th this year, which is, um, you know... Um, Proud's maybe the wrong word, but I'm delighted that we are here. Certainly, it's it feels like a bit of a milestone after the last few years to still be able to say that. Um, the wilderness started as um, a series of notes made in the back of a notepad uh, at the end of Saturday night services when I was working elsewhere. We uh, we ran a a pop up which was actually called Nomad, uh, starting in Kings Heath. And uh, I mean, it was it was it was both at times brilliant and at times absolutely awful. Um, I don't think I was ready per se, but uh, I knew that I wanted the freedom to kind of explore that on my own terms. Um, that went well. Um, you know, I think I had enough positive reception that we kind of moved into the city, opened a restaurant called Nomad, got sued by um, Daniel Hume, uh, who allegedly is one of the world's best chefs. Um, changed our name to the wilderness, moved to the jury court three and a half years ago, I think. Um, and it's always been focused on trying to sort of, I suppose, collide two different worlds that I, I want to do. I want to do food to the absolute best of, you know, of my and of our ability. And I want to work with world-class produce and I want to provide an experience that is absolutely, um, you know, up there as it were in terms of sort of fine food and, and, and drinks. But that's never really been my kind of vibe. Um, I don't want to go to a restaurant and feel uncomfortable. I don't want to go to a restaurant that feels too, too formal. Um, so it's always been a collision, really, of those two worlds. Um, you know, it's very much a case of, yes, we'll, we do multi-course menus with, you know, very technical food using, um, you know, food that is sourced worldwide and, and you know, we certainly enjoy it. Um, but that is collided with, you know, very human service. We encourage people to kind of bring some personality. You know, we don't take things too seriously. We try and have a sense of humour. Um, Life's too short not to, I think. Uh, and, you know, we do play sort of classic rock and roll and heavy metal. Um, so it is a bit of a kind of collision of, I suppose, a couple of different cultural um, influences. But um, it's one that, you know, for me just feels natural. And I think that's all you can hope for for a restaurant, to do something that feels authentic to, to you. Um, and, you know, six years later, we're, you know, we're still here in, um, you know, 200-year-old factory in the jewellery quarter. This is, your, this, is your, this is your second second premises, is that right? Yeah, so the first one was sort of, um, I guess, a hybrid, really. So we, <laughs> I say it now, and I, I still can't really believe that, that at the time I thought it was, um, it was, uh, you know, it was a good idea. So we um, we were fortunate enough to be given uh, the cafe space at um, Birmingham Media Art Gallery, just on Dudley Street, um, opposite a sex shop. So it was a real atmosphere, a real vibe. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they were kind enough to, to let us have the cafe space when we were a very small restaurant. Um, in the end, it, it turned out that you know, fundamentally, they were an art gallery, and actually having a, a very busy restaurant next door, it's a bit much. Is is you know, trying to have a f- fully booked evening service whilst they're also trying to host a sort of quiet gallery event, it, it wasn't fair on them, and they were very patient with us. But in the end, we had to yeah, flee somewhere that um, could deal with um, the big-hearted personality of, of this sort of business, um, perhaps a little bit more freely. So uh, the JQ uh, came up on the radar. Um, myself and one of my business partners, um, we've always thought this was a great building with great history, great foodie credentials. You know, there's been many great cooks and, and chefs here before us. 
uh, and we took it on um, and it was in need of a bit of TLC, a bit of modernization, um, which we've, we've kind of continued to do over the years. And um, I think in some ways it's sort of, it's informed where we've been with the restaurant. I think the jewelry quarter has really encouraged us to sort of, to stay weird, I guess, which I think is a great, a great mission statement. Absolutely. And you um, gave me a, a nice little segue earlier because you said about uh, playing rock and roll and heavy metal in here and stuff because uh, you thought you were going to be a, a musician. You thought that was your career path, didn't you, at one stage in your life? I mean, pff, what does anyone think they're going to be at 18? Um, yeah, I mean, music had always been a massive part of my life. Um, you know, I, my mum's quite musical and I sort of, you know, I learned to play uh, the geekier instruments quite young. So, you know, I was playing piano from know three four like i started playing pretty young on the piano Is piano geeky i thought you were going to say the recorder or something or the it gets worse mate it gets worse um and then you know i started the clarinet which is a real low point for me it's very hard to look attractive whilst playing the clarinet um apologies to any clarinetists out there but um it certainly didn't work for me and then i kind of kept going really like i like learning so at one point i was playing bass sax clarinet piano guitar um <coughs> and I always kind of thought that that would, that would be something which I'd do more with. But I've also always had a sort of bit of a all or nothing personality. And, and, you know, in my sort of later teens, I started recording a little bit with um, a couple of bands I was in. And um, we recorded one EP. Um, it was incredibly, incredibly overwrought and influenced by sort of uh, emotional punk, as you can imagine. Um, it was called The Coroners. Uh, we recorded a song called Still Sorry and a song called To Hell and Back. And I listened to them both, um, I believe, in my father's car, actually. Uh, and I despised so much all the little mistakes I could hear that I went home and uh, I got rid of all my guitars and sold everything. Sold the guitars? That's the, the Crown Jewels one. That's <laughs> I still miss them, to be honest. Uh, you know, I, I play again now. For a very long time, I didn't play. Um, it was too kind of painful, too raw. Um, but I've started playing it again, but, you know, I accept now it is entirely just to sort of, um, you know... Switch off. Yeah, to switch off to kind of enjoy it, you know, like, realistically, I, I just sit down and play kind of crazy train on loop, and that's that's enough for me. You know, that is enough rock stardom. Same um, here, that's my... Uh, I, I play myself and my guitar myself, and that's about where I've kind of got to. Yeah, just to just, just, just you know your limit, get there and top out. Um, yeah. But I think it was, you know, it was, it was more just the creativity... You know, I think I've always needed to keep my mind occupied and my mind busy. Um, and I think food was really a process of elimination on that. You know, uh, I didn't have the most orthodox um, entry. You know, I, obviously music was, was a big part when I was still at school. Um, I went to university to do, I mean, actually I went to university to do sort of English studies, which sounds like a made up degree, but um, was a mixture of sort of drama and writing and, and neurolinguistics and things. And I then kind of put my energy into words. Um, and I cooked a bit during university, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, actually. I cooked a little bit for money, and I cooked a little bit as well, because at university I, I kind of had an eating disorder, so I had to learn to cook to try and persuade myself out of that yeah. very dark place. I know that sounds weird, but the obsession with food, unfortunately, took hold, and it was really what I chose to do with it, I guess. Um, that's me kicking a table, for anyone wondering. Um and then, yeah, I kind of went down this writing a words-based route and, you know, I found storytelling kind of filled that little void from music. Um, and then at the end of university, uh, I kind of, I don't know, had the panic of many a 21-year-old of, oh my God, what am I going to do in my life? Um, and uh, for better, for worse, actually, I joined a big four accounting firm, but it just didn't work for me. You know, the lack of creativity was just, uh, I was on a road to nowhere. I got zero enjoyment from that. Um, I couldn't see myself doing it long term. I was becoming more kind of obsessive with uh, staying up far later than I should have done before, you know, before work days and sort of, you know, playing with four or five different ways to cook things and seeing how things fitted together. Um, and I think it was that kind of transition from I wanted to, you know, I wanted to communicate with other people. I wanted to kind of, you know, I guess craft stories. And then food kind of just emerged out of the mist, as it were, was sort of a way that you could do that that, that wasn't music or wasn't you know, words or any of those things, but still had merit and actually had, I don't know, had a very visceral joy to it. 
Um, I think anyone can relate to this. Like if you get to cook for someone and then you see them enjoy what you've created, I think that's a very special and um, unique pleasure. Um, and yeah, also, it's what, you, it's what you do. Any art, art form, isn't it? Or any well, for the first couple of years, it is, and then after that, it's just about the cash, mate. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 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 that was a joke. Um, no, it has to be. You know, and I still get just as much of a kick now. You know, looking onto the restaurant and sort of seeing reactions and you know, hearing people talk about it and, you know, I suppose it's a bit different with food because I do think a lot of what we do really is just kind of becoming custodian of particular produce to take it from, you know, raw to to kind of to a guest. Um, you know, because you can't take credit for all the kind of the hard work that's gone into creating amazing produce, really. Your job as a chef is really just not to um, ruin it at the last hurdle for a lot of things. Uh, certainly how we cook it tends to be just you know don't ruin this perfect <laughs> this perfect piece of produce let's let's do it justice um but it's it's a massive kick it's a massive kick and it's also universal you know like it's it's one of the few kind of creative mediums that doesn't actually rely on language you know it is self-evident it is kind of manifest there's something very honest and earnest about cooking for me personally that that really kind of ticked that box um so yeah, you know, entirely accidental, but um, a wonderful accident overall. So, what was your first first role then? Because you've been kicking around, um, you know, rehearsal rooms with your band, and then an accountancy firm, and then doing English and writing, etc. And so, how did you get onto the the ladder, so to speak, in terms of hospitality and, and restaurants? Did I uh, literally quit my job? Um, called my parents, tell them the good news. They were obviously delighted. Um, said I'm coming. You know, I'm going to have to come home. Uh, and I just dropped CVs around saying I'll do anything. And, uh, yeah, the, f- the first job I got was, was literally just a, a kitchen assistant job, a mixture of kind of washing up and then uh, prepping 10 kilos of Spanish onions a day. Um, not glamorous, not salubrious. And, and plenty of tears as well, I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, pl- plenty of tears both in and out of service. Um, well, you know, I, I think I acknowledged then, as I do now, that... You know, there is no singular kind of way of, of, of doing this job, of entering this job. There's no singular set of skills. And I knew that was coming with a bit of a kind of, you know, a later start and an orthodox entry point to it. And um, honestly, when I first started, I was I was really bad. You know, having spent, you know, many years not really doing a great deal of kind of practical work and it all being, you know, in the old noggin. I was terrible, but... Um, I like to watch and, and kind of observe things and I sort of, uh, I took a punt on it then that, do you know what, I think some of this is just going to be about last man standing. Maybe that's a terrible thing to say and I, I don't think that's the attitude we're trying to promote in kitchens but, you know, I, I think I kind of took a punt at that time of like, look, you know, I, I'm I'm not jumping into this and, you know, suddenly able to, you know, to do everything wonderfully well which is, of course, a source of frustration for my sort of peculiar personality type but on the other hand I was sort of like well I know that I cannot give up I know that I can turn up on time I know that I can always listen I know that I can be willing to learn I know that I can be willing to keep going when everyone else is saying no this is enough I know that I'm willing to you know I know that I'm willing to kind of um, you know keep going with no kind of limit on that Yeah, and it's it's funny really because I actually think that as far as an early instinct goes, that resilience is actually a massive part of the reality of doing this job. Yeah. Doing this job for a long period of time. You know, it's, it's, of course there is, you know, there is, there is, there is talent and there is all the rest of it, but sometimes it just comes down to how stubborn are you? It's a hell of a commitment in your, your life as well. To take on a, a, something like this as well. That's what it's, people forget. It's, I mean, it sounds so bloody wanky, doesn't it? It's, it's a lifestyle choice. It has to be, Yeah. you know, it, ha- it has to be a case of, you know, you have to take a position on this and kind of go. The reward here justifies, you know, what is probably a slightly higher cost than normal for a career. But, you know, I would argue um, also a higher reward um, in terms of satisfaction and, you know, opportunity and, and, you know, getting to do a job that genuinely kind of brings joy. But, yeah, you know, it's um, that initial instinct serves me pretty well. Um, Certainly, over the last you know couple of years, 
at the end of the day, sometimes it is just about how far are you willing to go through hell. Yeah. Going, going back to the, the the sort of route that you, you you came through then, do you think the wilderness would be the way, would be what it is, if you'd have taken that kind of more conventional route into hospitality? No, 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 I don't. I, don't. I think... Um, I think you know the, the 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 end result of what we have here stems from the fact that the hospitality and food is only a, just for me it's just a medium, right? You know, like over lockdown, I, I dabbled actually with kind of furniture design and, and sort of other art forms and all the rest of it. Like, I'm not precious about the medium I'm working with. It just so happens that that you know food is sort of where we're at and and what we work with. But for me, I suppose. I have a deep respect for kind of food and have a deep respect for the craft of it, but I'm much more end result driven, I think, yeah. than if I'd come through a traditional route, you know. And I spend as much time as dressing around interior design and around sort of, you know, the right volume on the playlist and around sort of, if we do photography, like, do I like the exposure? Like, you know, is that the right lens for it? Like, every single detail interests me kind of equal measure. Um, and I think, you know, it, it has swings and, and roundabouts, you know. Um, if you're going to be deeply interested in everything, you know, you do need to bring in, you know, really talented people who can be much more kind of tunnel vision on it. You know, like my, my current head chef, Maris, is a great example. You know, I'm very much interested in the big picture. And, you know, he is there to support me on, you know, having, I suppose, the singular focus to go, you know, I don't think he stays awake stressed about exactly what leather we're choosing for the chairs here and that's great because I, I you know I can't be stressing about everything if I haven't got people I can kind of you know focus on particular areas with and stuff um, but no I, I don't think we would be what we are I think this is a particular melting pot and a particular collision of interests and ideas that um, you know that that come from a sort of magpie approach to it right yeah describe yourself on the website as rock and roll fine dining what does that mean it means we were trying to find a way to get Google Ads to to work. Um, Is it working? I don't really know. I got, <laughs> got bored of looking at all the analytics. Um, no, I mean, I think one of the things that's difficult in um, food media, maybe more so in regional, but I think generally it's universal, is that it saves in nothing but respect, given that I'm very aware that obviously um, you have a background in media marketing, but, you know, there's a laziness in in kind of food writing generally. I think there's um, there's a laziness and a sort of uh, an eternal challenge of you know food is such a varied and diverse thing that I think it's very very hard to talk about something if you can't come up with an easy to understand soundbite. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, no no one with every respect nuance is not something which is found in abundance when it comes to kind of food writing. Um, as a general rule, there are some notable exceptions and some writers who are very good indeed. But, you know, people don't want that. We live in an age of social media. If you can't smack it in 40 characters or whatever, if you can't, you know, if you can't distill it into something really easy to understand, we are, we are not in an age of patience yeah. when it comes to kind of brand comms. So we were really looking for sort of, you know, how can we, you know, manage expectation? You know, how can we give someone, you know, barely a sentence that that kind of condenses the experience into into you know what it is what rock and roll fine dining cool it's gonna be fine dining and they're gonna play rock and roll you know because when we first opened like that wasn't the easiest flex and you know we, we got resistance you know we had reviews saying you know that you know, the music wasn't to their taste they don't like it we had reviews saying oh we don't want to eat in a restaurant that you know that uses such a dark kind of color palette you know because yes you know my favorite color is black and the restaurant does reflect that you know this is not a restaurant with an abundance of color um so it was really just trying to kind of condense what people can expect into something that's easy to understand. Um, you know, I think it's very important to do that as a restaurant, you know, because unless you're going to be a restaurant that's trying to please everybody, you know, you're not going to be for everybody. And that's really, really hard as, as both a chef and also as an operator to get your head around, like making peace with the fact that there are some people who would not like what you do, right? Like that's... You know, because when when you're on your, you're on your when you're on your way up in a, in a career as, as a chef, you know, you, you kind of, you know, you get the fear, the fear, like you know, if you see, you know, if you see a waiter or you know, a manager coming back 
to kind of say, oh, you know, someone doesn't like the food. Like, you get the fear, right? You get the kind of the deep, oh, gosh, no, like, you know, I must be terrible at my job because someone doesn't like what I do. And then the reality is that when you open a business, you kind of go, well, no, this is how we're going to do things. This is how we do, and this is the reason why. And um, actually, it's okay. It's okay for people not to like it. But I think we've learned over the years, the better we can clearly articulate what we do, so you can make that advanced judgment whether or not it's going to be for you, the better. Because, you know, I want everyone who comes here to have a great time. And we're very lucky that actually that is the kind of the, the, the experience we have. But when we're still finding our feet, I think when we weren't perhaps been as clear as possible as to what we do and what we are, that's when you do sometimes get people who are sort of like, you know, people will come and be like, oh, I don't like rock and roll and I don't really like tasting menus. And you'll be like, well, we've done a terrible job of telling you what we do then because you've just booked for something that ticks everything you don't want. Yeah. You know? Um, so I think it was, yeah, it stemmed from that really. I wish I could give you a, like a big philosophical answer, like all the rest of it. But um, yeah, it was just, we wanted to try and find a short answer. I know what we do is a bit different. So how can we make it as easy to understand as possible? Yeah. Well, you were once quoted as saying that you want to make people happy and you want to piss people off. So I guess that means <laughs> you won't settle for average. Well, you know, I, I mean, I do think the passage of time has tempered um, somewhat perhaps my um, my gobshitery. But, you know, fundamentally, uh, I think occupying the middle ground is the worst possible result as a creative person. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the worst compliments available is nice. You know, like, it, 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 you know, if we go and speak to a guest in this restaurant and they go, oh, that was nice, you know, that fills me with more dread than any reaction possible. You know, I don't want to be, you know, nice. I want you to love it or I want you to hate it. I want to, you know, I want you to have some sort of reaction so we can have some sort of kind of human interaction over this. You know, it's this, um, it's it, it's the food equivalent of sort of the, you know the Britishness. How are you? Are you well? Yes, I'm well, thanks. Are you well? Yes, well, thanks. You like? I don't want to get caught in that loop, man. You know, I'd rather we do things that feel authentic to us. And if you like it, that's awesome. But I want you to really like it. And if you you don't, I'd rather I'd rather we have some reaction than none. You know. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I say that all the time. You know. Like, even with some of our drinks program stuff, you know, we've been working a lot on things like hacked wines. And uh, the first thing Sonal said to me was sort of like, look, this is going to piss people off because wine's sacred. You can't take like a wine and then add cocktail ingredients to it and recarbonate it and, you know, then present it as a new wine. Like that's really sacrilegious. And, and you know, actually when we have an idea that feels like there's an element of danger or threat of that, that's, those tend to be the ideas that for me personally, I think, cool, we should absolutely do that. Something that I heard you say in another interview that really kind of resonated with me, actually, as a, as a content creator. I mean, when I when I speak to people I deal with day to day who work in, mm. in media and, and content and stuff, is that I always say to them, look outside your own sector or niche for for inspiration. And I know that you, it's something you're quite passionate about. Is that you don't want to be inspired by food as such. You want to look at other areas and be inspired by that to bring into your food. No, absolutely. I mean. I think, I think with food, you know, the, 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 there is a, in practical terms, there's a finite kind of number of ways you can do things, you know. Um, to a point, creativity is dead. Like, a, a, every dish has a kind of a rich heritage of influence and inspiration, and it flows organically, and it flows naturally, but um, I think actually there is a limit to where that will take you. Um, you know, and that's not to say that there aren't times where we're inspired down more conventional routes, but I just think if you're only looking at this element of kind of you know creativity, um, you're missing a trick. You know, like I, I personally feel like we produce some of our best um, food and indeed drink when we're looking at you know when we're looking at architects and we're looking at sort of you know. Um, architecture from the 50s and 60s like I'm super interested in a lot of brutalist stuff and when we also look at kind of uh, you know fashion photography when we look at other artists uh, when we obviously look at music it's such a richer kind of um, way to look at things for me personally and, and you know I really think the only way food you know the only way food differs from anything else is that food is literally consumed 
right? Like so, there's 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 a kind of a physicality to it, but otherwise, all of this is just how did it make you feel? That is it. You know, if you go out for a great meal, you know what you remember is not. Oh, do you know what I really loved? I loved that they'd done. You know, that they'd done this amazing little pickle, and then used a little bit of kind of you know pink peppercorns in that pickle. That was that was, that was the pet. Remember, that's not what happens really. You know, at least my take on it is, you remember how that restaurant made you feel, and how you feel is a product of a sort of great design generally. So that's great design from the food perspective, but it's your choice of cutlery, it's your choice of plateware, it's the glasses, it's the lighting, it's the music, it's the service. It's an experience, isn't it? It's it's it's, it's the full experience, you know, and, and the longer we've done this for, the more, you know, the more I try and exist as an agitator for what is an incredibly talented team. You know, I exist to kind of bring things or ways of looking or ways of thinking to them and kind of going, look, have a look at this and then let's chat. Um... So, I mean, for me, it's, you know, the idea that I didn't need to be constrained by looking at one particular sector to, to take inspiration. I loved that, and it worked for me. But, you know, everyone works differently. You know, everyone works differently. And, like, you know, of course I still have cookbooks, which I adore, and I love looking through, you know. Of course there are times where I'll sort of flick through and be like, oh, that's really cool. You know, that's natural. But I think it's more just, you know, we try and not put, we try and not put limits on, you know where we can where we can kind of borrow ideas or inspiration from. You know, I'd rather keep things as freeform as possible because I don't want to accidentally cut out the possibilities for an idea that could be awesome. Okay, I guess it's harder to run out of inspiration then because you're nothing's nothing's off the table, and when you're kind of striving to reinvent, yeah, you know, your menu as you do. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's 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 around. It's around just having the richest possible kind of smorgasbord of, of ideas and, you know, things that that, that might inspire you. And, and, you know, I think particularly with our, where our menu is and where the food is now, actually we've kind of come full circle in some ways that, you know, when I was, was younger and, and I suppose trying to, to, you know, to find my own sense of identity, priorities, all the rest of it, you know, th- there's, there's definitely an element of kind of, we went sort of uber experimental to the point of sort of um, occupying an awkward kind of area between interesting and delicious and interesting and not. Um, and that's just been honest. Like there's times where absolutely I feel like, you know, there's an element of try hard, um, which I think is just you know, inexperience and sort of part of the process. Actually, a lot of what we do now is we'll take something that is incredibly rooted in traditional classicism you know, like one of the first snacks on the menu, um, which actually, uh, full credit where it's due, it was Marius um, came to me with it and kind of said, I want to do Mull's um, Marinere. And actually, what he's done is, you know, he's built that into a singular serving, you know, built around a sort of crispy potato sort of a cannoli with, you know, smoked mussels and a mussel emulsion and, you know, honestly, in a mouthful, it's exactly the experience of eating that dish. And um, for us, really, we'd rather take something which is very classical that we love dearly, and then we'll change just enough of it to make you pay attention to how good the original thing was. Um, and that's kind of increasingly how it works. So if you're only really looking both backwards, but then trying to find that kind of twist, that sort of... Um, so the link's there somewhere. Yeah, but yeah, you know, like, of course, the richer, the, the richer kind of system of thinking you, you have to achieve that, the better, right? Yeah, it goes back to as well what you said about respecting the having that element of respect for the original. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's um, you know, I'm a firm believer that a lot of the stuff that really is iconic, you know, it's already been done. You know, like uh, I don't want to sound like um, a boring, you know, a boring old git, but like look at music. Like I'm a firm believer, sort of like we are many years off anyone who can come close to the bands that that I adore. You know, like. I'm sorry, but you know, if you look at, I don't know, look at Freddie Mercury, look at Queen, you know, one of my favourite bands. If you can find me one artist in the charts who can deliver the talent that man had in a finger, I don't see it. You know, I'm sorry, but like, when you have such iconic, you know, historical things that have happened, you know, unless you can genuinely beat that, I think our job is to celebrate that. And to, you know, to, to find a way to just keep that turning, right? That's yeah. that's it. You know, creativity 
doesn't really exist. It's just we keep passing it down the chain and you turn it and you turn it and you turn it. Um, and so I think absolutely it makes it easier for us um, and it makes it more interesting. You know, it means we get to have really awesome conversations around, you know, pretty much a limitless, uh, you know, set of source materials, um, which, which, you know, keeps our team creative, um, which is very important to me. You know, I want us to stay, to stay kind of focused on, on those sort of conversations. Yeah, and it's very eclectic, and you're a Birmingham restaurant, and eclectic is kind of what Birmingham is about as a, as a city, isn't it? Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think... I think food and sort of food culture is in a really interesting place in as much as I, I do think um, maybe I just didn't have the time to read these things previously, but it feels like there's a lot more um, discussion actually around how food culture kind of fits together. Um, it certainly made us a bit more mindful. Like it is a city um, with you know, an abundant variety of influence and indeed ingredient and then the infrastructure you see around that and you know that's really exciting but I also think it's um, it's hard to navigate sometimes you know like a couple of years ago we would absolutely put a dish on that purported to be um, you know purported to be sort of you know a dish of kind of Malaysian descent and all the rest of it and we've kind of moved a little bit away from that to be honest um We've moved away from anything where we feel like we're kind of trying to claim an authenticity or ownership over something that is fundamentally not not a food culture that I can ever know, even if it's one that I've grown up enjoying, if that makes sense. So I think we've become a little bit more aware of the complexities. You know, I had some amazing conversations actually um, with uh, an artist called Mohammed Ali, um, who does loads of work around sort of the history of curry houses and, and the Baltine and, you know, how all that sits together. And actually that was a real eye-opener for me. Um, you know, we used to have a dish on um, that was that was loosely inspired by kind of, by the Balti. Um, and actually through the process of getting to speak to, you know, speak to Mohammed around his experiences of, of that dish and, and sort of the, I suppose, the complexity of, of how Birmingham fits together as food culture. Um, that was it. We don't do it anymore. We 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 don't we don't trivialize or sort of borrow too liberally. Um, we try and focus on. We use accents because they're ingredients we're familiar with and we enjoy. Um, but it's um, I don't know. It's become a lot more complex. I think over as I said over lockdown, just it's the first time in well my entire professional career I've had the chance to sort of really sit and reflect on anything. Um, so I think we come out in a slightly different place. Um, but it's it's you know it's definitely still you know on a more kind of uh, prosaic level it's definitely still a key part of the city and, and what what makes us great I think what we need to caution against is we need to caution against um, the erasure of anything specific you know like I think we need to kind of be very cautious around restaurants that become basically just kind of a a blurred mess on canvas of all these different cuisines and cultures. You know, I think there are, there are some amazing restaurants that that focus on a specific style of cuisine, um, and I think those are the ones which we need to champion. And actually, those are the restaurants that I think we need to cover more because they're the ones that are real gems for the city. You know, not when you see larger operators kind of come in with. You know, I'm not going to name any names because um, I'm sure Tattoo have got a really expensive legal team, but like <laughs> I don't feel like you know big restaurants with big money behind them who are just pretty much homogenizing they're trying to do everything they're homogenizing so many different food cultures into one place and trying to present it somehow as authentic and somehow as more kind of bougie than you know i'm sorry but you know there are infinite number of restaurants in in chinatown that have more merit but less flower walls do you know what i mean and i'm kind of like i'm not necessarily the man to do that but we need to we need to realize that they are not the same you know, they're not the same. And um, again, you know, people who enjoy tattoo, like a problem, you know, like I had a drink there once, it was all right. Um, but I think that's kind of the distinction, which which is a city, I, I think would be really interesting over the next couple of years to see how those discussions kind of span out. And again, I think it comes back to that point on, on kind of authenticity. Yeah. You know, this isn't a city that generally tolerates a very great deal of kind of bullshit or subterfuge. Um, 
and I, I think certainly of conversations happening sort of around London and, and New York at the moment or anything to go by, I think those are the kind of discussions that we'll be having in, you know, in two or three years' time if, if we were doing something like this. These are the sort of discussions that will be happening. Yeah. You were saying about that, that food critic kind of laziness in a way, though. Do you think with Birmingham it is a bit like... You'll ask them about Birmingham's food scene. They'll say, well, it's got five Michelin stars and it invented the Balti. And that's kind of, that's way people view it. And there's a bit, there's a lot more to it I than, mean, than that. I mean, you know, uh, I think, I think certainly that's been the historical treatment. But I think that's really been driven by journalists because, you know, until the last, I don't know, five years, maybe less, let's be honest, regionality hasn't been something promoted in journalism. You know, and, and journalists are only able to do what their editors need. And, you know, there is an entire system. And, you know, in the past, I think I've been too unkind and, un, you know, un, unfeeling, I guess, certainly with some journalists where actually they're just part of a bigger wheel that turns. Um, and I think we've moved past that a little bit as much as, you know, you do have lots of um, you know, bloggers, writers, whatever you wish to kind of call them. Um, who who are going out and trying to find much more interesting things to write about, and that's awesome. And they're getting under the skin of it a bit more as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. absolutely. And and I think you know we need more of that. Um, and I think th- th- there is always a challenge of like when you're trying to build your city up, you don't want to be the guy who kind of goes, yeah, it's independent, but it's also a bit shit. You don't want to do that. You know, that's not you know like you know with every respect, you know, epic brum is a focus on things that are epic because no one wants to be that Grinch going, well, it has open, but I don't think it's very good. Um, so I think also we're at a stage in the kind of the city's development where absolutely it's better to build up than it is to drag down. Um, you know, and and I also think you have to, have to come back to what I said earlier that, you know, what occurs online is really just a microcosm of the overall way in which the market happens. You know, people will go to these restaurants and they'll enjoy them or they will not. And actually whether I like them or you like them or someone else likes them, none of that is really relevant. You know, all any of us can do is we can perhaps try and highlight places that we think people might enjoy. You know, we can perhaps try and tell stories that might not otherwise um, be apparent. But, like, food's totally subjective. You know, like, one person's, you know, food heaven is another person's food hell, all the rest of it. And, you know, it will all come out in the wash. And I only you'll know because if people like the wilderness, for example, you'll see the same faces again a few months later or a few weeks no, later, yeah, and they'll come, they'll come back. And, and you know, it's how much we've grown as a business. You know, we've got more sophisticated with you know what we can and can't say. Fundamentally, we're still a word of mouth business. You know, we're you know <laughs> we do all sorts to kind of try and tell our story more creatively or you know with more panache, and you know we plan all these kind of campaigns and all the rest of it. But fundamentally. Our business grows because people come in and they really enjoy the vibe and they tell someone about it. Yeah. You know, and it's it makes me smile sometimes that even though we live in this hyper digital age, this hyper sort of, you know, this obsession with newness, this kind of novelty, this sort of like, oh, have you heard there's a new feature on, you know, on Instagram or oh, have you seen this new analytics tool or oh, you know, you could use this software to schedule your post and send them out at exactly the right time, all this stuff. Like fundamentally, the mechanics of business haven't changed since pre-internet you know people if they like your product will be the best ambassadors for you and the only ones that actually really matter because they're the the, you know they're the people who don't have to say that you know um in an age of of kind of you know influencer marketing and all sorts of sort of subterfuge behind the scenes to try and get the right opinions out there i'm sort of like actually do you know what (laughs) after all is said and done word of mouth Real people showing real experiences is still fundamentally the the, the single best thing for a business. Mm-hmm. As you as you as you put, rightly pointed out, we like to big things up about Birmingham. So I'm going to ask you where where do you like to eat and drink around the city? Where would you if you were going to take somebody you'd never been here before, other than the wilderness? Where would you? Uh... Um, I mean, for me, places that have particular merit. I think Folium, um, just around the corner. Um, Folium's always a favourite. Um, you know, I think it's really important to support each other and, you know, I think um, both myself and members of my team, we try and eat fairly regularly to support. I think it's... Um, I think it's just a beautiful experience. Um, I love what they've done the design-wise and I think the food is just so kind of... Um, just so clean, really. Um, I think that's a really chef thing to say, but there's a real precision. They know what they do. I love that. 
Um, Ophim, I think, is an absolute jewel in the city's crown. Um, you know, and, and uh, I, I always enjoy my time there. Um, I'd agree with you on that. I think everything Actar touches, to be honest with you, I, I love Paul Perea as well. It's yeah, I mean, as I say, Paul, you know, Paul Perea, like, you know, I've, I've been there too much. We've had to kind of put a pause on that because it was getting to the point of embarrassment. Um, myself and my other half were there pretty much every week, and I thought this is this is getting a bit, it's getting a bit kind a of creepy. Cringe. Yeah, yeah a bit creepy. <laughs> like, you know, we need to stop. Um, Oyster Club, I, you know, I really enjoy. I mean, Adams is great, but actually, Oyster Club, I think, is 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 super under underappreciated for what it is, and I think that sort of restaurant that occupies that wonderful kind of. You can go for some oysters and a drink, or you can eat much more. Like that kind of hybridity of what it does from a guest experience, I think is fantastic. Um, and I think Hockley Social Club, like whilst I don't go there as often as I always think I should, um, I think you know, the older I get, the more I kind of like things a bit more chill. I don't like big crowds, um, but I think it is also awesome to see that happening. I'm so delighted that they're this side of of the JQ, um, and I think that, that will be over the next couple of years, just part of, you know, the key kind of things that will totally expand out what the jury quarter can be. Um, and I think, you know, there's loads of other restaurants that I don't think are necessarily, um, you know, if it's your first time visit, that I'd necessarily take people to. But there's loads of restaurants that, you know, are, I think are charming and I really enjoy. Um, you know, as I said to you, you know, off, um, off mic, you know, I do tend to, to get out the city. If, if I have the luxury of free time. But I think that's that's also, you know, it is about there's perhaps a little bit more variety still elsewhere. But it, it's also about, for me, it's it's about um, just being able to switch off. I find it very hard to switch off in Birmingham. Um, I don't know what that is. I, I haven't quite figured it out yet, but I find it very hard to to feel like I'm off work. I think living here and working here is a pretty good good reason for that, to be honest with you. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I think I've always found it quite difficult to to know how to shut off, but um, I think I find it a lot easier to kind of you know, go down to like Silo in London, which is one of my favourite restaurants in the UK. If I go there, kind of, I, I feel I feel a million miles away from everything, even in the city. I mean, I guess it's because it's fundamentally a small city centre and, you know, I live, work in pretty much the city centre so maybe maybe it's not that complicated after all but um and I, and I suppose in it, not not deliberate by any means but you have to an extent become one of the faces of, of kind of Birmingham dining as well so yeah I mean I, 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 I don't know about that pal like you know I, I um you know I, I certainly don't ever go anywhere expecting that anyone there has the foggiest of, of, of what I've done and you know sometimes sometimes they know about this restaurant sometimes they don't um i certainly am not one for you know and i guess that's part of it like you know if i go to a mate's restaurant i i just i just want to support i just want to go and i want to eat normal and want to order what i want and you know i want to do all the cliches and when i want the bill i want to do that kind of thing you know where you put the bill please works in every language yeah i want to i want to do all the normal stuff and um i'm 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 constantly deeply uncomfortable if if actually I'm treated like industry, if that makes sense, yeah. which is really weird because if someone from the industry comes in here, we'll always try to look after them and do extra nice things for them. But uh, um, I guess I want to eat out as, as just, you know, for me, it's like professional hat off. You know, I, I want to just order like what I want and sort of be left, you know, be left in, in peace. And I don't want people to feel the pressure. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I hate it when you go to... Um, know restaurant perhaps that does know that that you know that you cook a little and you've got a restaurant you know when they're kind of they're going oh what do you think chef i'm like please don't call me that like i'm i'm in your home i'm in your home and i just want to you know just want to have a good time yeah i haven't come to critique it i'm just here for a vibe that's all i want um so maybe but um you know i mean those are some awesome places and you know i'm sure there are you know with more consideration there are countless others i could add to that list yeah do you cook for yourself much? Because uh, the reason I ask is because um, when we had Stu on, said so who, who cooks at home? Home then, and yeah. uh, he said to be honest with you, I, I and, and I, I guess people have got this per- perception of, of chefs go home and they, they they boss the kitchen and they 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 master everything, cooking for the family and stuff. But he's like, I, I love to get stuck into a takeaways and and stuff like that. And I guess it's uh yeah, I mean, you just want to eat like everybody else does. I mean. Yeah, you know, historically, I, I I do not cook at home. Um, I 
maybe it's a, it's a weird distinction. I enjoy cooking and food as as my career. But, you know, it'd be the same as sort of like, um, if you're a racing driver, right, you enjoy that particular act of driving a car. It doesn't mean you're going to get home and jump into Fiat 500 and be like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I love it. I can't wait to do more. Um, you know, I've made more of an effort. I have made more of an effort, um, certainly over the course of lockdown and of late, to kind of cook a little bit more. Because I always think it's a bit of a shame that... Um, that, you know, obviously it's an interest in a career that stemmed from enjoying cooking at home, um, but you then just don't. But I, generally speaking, I, I try and eat out. If I'm not in work, I'll, I'd much rather be in a restaurant. Um, I, I don't believe greatly in the merits of, of kind of um, using what little free time I have to, to cook. And if I do, it'll be very simple. You know, if I do, I'd much rather just get, you know, a big old, you know, a big chunk of meat or, you know, some nice fresh fish and sort of cook it as simply as humanly possible. Um, so I'm, I'm certainly not doing the same sort of things that we do here no. at home. Um, you don't go home and deconstruct Big Macs or anything like that? No, no, no I just, you know, go home and try and deconstruct whatever my dog's eaten. Um, no, you know, I, not really. I, I don't think, you know, there are absolutely some chefs who, who, who do, but my experience of this industry is the majority of us are out of work we eat very differently from the output. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, thanks very much. It's been, it's been brilliant to, to chat to you. We've got, got one more question to you. It's the Epic Brum podcast, so we finish by asking all our guests what makes Birmingham epic. What an ambush of a question. I could have told me this last night, so I could have rehearsed something beautiful. Um, I mean, the problem is that I know what some other people have said, and I'm going to sound like I'm jumping on a bandwagon, but, you know, it, it is fundamentally, it is the... It's the people, the sense of humour and the dirty laugh. Can't argue with that though. So There you go. Thanks so much for having me. Yep, thank well, thanks for having us down here and uh look forward to coming here again and, and eating soon. I've promised the, the missus that uh bring her for, for dinner one night, so look forward to it. Thanks for having me, buddy. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Epic Brum podcast. You can find more episodes on all the major podcast apps such as Apple and Spotify. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Epic Brum HQ.